random things you can ever really imagine. Um, I mean, we have to be jack of all trades. I have to be able to go in and work on a uh, building if I have to. If you notice on the short video clip and some of the pictures I showed this morning, that some of those, uh, like the roof is like sheet metal just sitting there, so you might have to get up and climb up and, and pull stuff out. Uh, but uh, a ladder is a common thing throughout the world, right? We have them here in the States. And, but I bet you didn't know how dangerous they are for missionaries in particular. In fact, I have several sets of friends that over the past few years have had serious injuries from ladders. I mean, you walk up to this ladder and the first thing you see here is a danger, a warning sign. Um, and not many people really adhere to that. I've seen people like stand on, on ladders like this and like walk them across the room because they're too lazy to walk down and carry said ladder. So they exert more energy to, to do one of these like shimmy things. I won't do it because I will hurt my, if not kill myself. Um, I'm not that coordinated but for we we have two sets of friends one he was missionary in ethiopia he was on a ladder fell off said ladder went to go brace himself from impacting the ground and when he did he broke both of his wrists and still slammed his face hard enough to break his his nose um ow Uh, another missionary family or friends of ours they're, they're getting ready for a deputation, getting their house ready to sell, and she climbs a ladder to paint, or I can't remember how or what she was doing, but when she was coming back down, she missed the last rung, rolled her ankle, tore all the tendons in her ankle. Um, I'm a firm believer that maybe missionaries should go through ladder training class. Um, because within the ladder training class, I mean, you think it's basic, you just take a step, and go up, always maintaining three points of contact, and, and you just go up, and, and you're okay. Uh, but for many missionaries, that that is extreme. But I want to talk to you about extreme faith this morning. See, I grew up in the generation of, of extreme sports. The X Games on ESPN was getting popular when I was in high school. I can't believe they're still going on. How awesome is that? That people are getting paid to do stupid things on motorcycles and bicycles and on ski slopes. Um, the amount of bones that have been broken due to the name of extreme sports is absolutely absurd. If you go on YouTube, you can search channels for, like, fails. or And you see people skateboarding and breaking things all the time and... I'm not going to lie, I laugh a lot when I watch those videos. Um, but they knew it was coming, that, that if you jump from one place to another on a mountain bike, that if you don't have enough speed, you're going to hurt yourself. Um, I love mountain biking. I have a mountain bike. If you see my van, it has a bike rack on the back. We didn't bring our mountain bike because we're moving like 10 times this week. Um, and when you're moving 10 times, that's a lot of time to move a mountain bike. So I left that in our storage unit back in Missouri. We'll pick it up next week. But I love mountain biking. In fact, that's how I, I keep my missionary figure because we eat out all the time. And that's the best way for me to get exercise because running's way too boring. Um, so I ride my, my, my bicycle all over the place. The furthest I've rode so far is 50 miles in one day. And I plan on increasing that this summer. But... 
All that to say is everything can be lived into an extreme. For missionaries, climbing a ladder shouldn't be an extreme sport, but the amount of people I know that have hurt themselves, like that is rated extreme. Um, I have pictures from Peru of, of a gentleman working on, I'm hoping, telephone lines, propped up a ladder on those telephone lines, and he's like working on lines. I'm hoping that they're not like power lines, because we know how that goes. Anybody ever been electrocuted? Anybody mistakenly place something that shouldn't go into electrical outlet? No? Okay. okay, I'm not the only one. Yes, there's power in numbers. But turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And everyone, we're going to talk about extreme faith today. I believe everyone here in this building, here in the States, has the ability to live this life with extreme faith. When you see references to faith, it's never something simple throughout the Bible, right? Every time faith is referenced, you're like, you're crazy. I mean, you have Peter jumping out the boat, walking on water. That's never been done before. And here Peter steps out in faith and he does it. But in all, oftentimes you see on how the Bible illustrates that each and every one of us can have Extreme faith. And we're going to go through three steps today on how we can attain three or extreme faith. You guys ready? Step number one, extreme dedication. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1, and it says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste to come down. For today I must abide in thy house. So Zacchaeus, we've all heard the story, right? We've all sang the song. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He, come on, he climbed up in the sycamore tree, and the rest of the day the song's going to be stuck in your head, and I'm not sorry. Um, We've all heard the song. We've heard the story. We sang the song. And over and over and over again, it's ingrained into our body of what bold dedication really looks like. Trust me, I know. I live with, with a shorter person. My wife is four foot eleven. She always needs something off the top shelf. Usually after I just sat down, but she always needs something. I there's oftentimes I have to reach something, or if I'm not home, she tells me the story of how she almost fell off the kitchen counter because she had to get something. She forever never sees anything if it's set on a shelf over her eye level. There's been times she's been like, I can't find this. Where is it? And I'll be like, right here? Uh, It's my daily life. But, But for Zacchaeus, short in stature. He was short even for men of that day. And he's trying to see Jesus. He's heard the rumors of this man, this teacher, this revolutionary that is teaching a new style, teaching the same word, but in love. He's healing people. He's doing things that no other man can. And he's passing through that way. Uh, when we were in Florida, 
a couple months ago, we had the chance to stay over by Disney and go to Dis- take our girls to Disney through a family in the church. And when we get there, we're like, why are there so many cop cars? Little did we know, it was just a few days after the election, and Mike Pence was staying at the, at the hotel across the street. So what's the natural thing? When you see a bunch of cars, or you see a group, a crowd gathered, you want to see it. But when you're short, you can't look over it. So here's Zacchaeus. He decides to run ahead, and he climbs up into this tree. So just, just to hope he can see this man named Jesus. And what Zacchaeus didn't realize is that him climbing that tree put him in the perfect position for God to use him that day. His willingness to climb that tree forever etched his name into scripture and into folklore song from Christian Sunday school classes across the world. And even today, my mom still sings that song every time we FaceTime with our girls. That song will be... Stuck in your head because he took extreme steps to show his dedication to Jesus. See, you have to put yourself in the right position for God to use you. That's step number one. Step number two, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither of any of them that ought. Oh, wait. I skipped some, I think. We'll go back. With boldness. Uh, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them ought the things which he had possessed which his own. But they had all things in common. And they with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And neither or in great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had needed. So, let's, let's rephrase this real quick. Let's, let's stop. I've heard this portion of scripture preached grossly out of context. And pastor's not here today, but... I'm going on the record now. I'm not telling you to go home, sell anything to to give it to my ministry. I've heard evangelists preach that. I'm pointing out with this portion of scripture that these men and women and families were moved so great that they realized that they had an overabundance of stuff that they didn't need. So they gathered together out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they stole things so the apostles can spend full time Preaching the word of God. How awesome is that? They realize that their family members and the people who haven't heard the name of Jesus were more important than the fact that they wanted to buy a new 70-inch 4K TV. I mean, who doesn't want a 70-inch 4K TV, especially the ones with, like, Netflix already in it? Um, 
the picture is just absolutely gorgeous, uh, or the surround sound, or, or the Porsche, or I got to park a, next to a couple of Porsches with my minivan that made them really nervous. Um, but step number two is extreme giving. You see, we've been called to not only give our tithes and offerings to the church, but I'm sure, just like many churches that we're in, you guys are called into faith promise giving. I know that's true because as a testament, you have missionaries here today within your, mission, within your missions conference. And your reach goes broad across this world because you guys give sacrificially. But I believe at the same time, since we are the most blessed country financially, that we often miss the mark. Some of us have been giving into missions for years. I started with $5 a month. I'm still giving $5 a month. Are you putting much faith if you're still giving the same amount that you've been able to prove over and over and over again over the past few years that you've been able to give that amount? Are you really putting faith in the God to allow him to stretch your faith and build through your finances a deeper relationship and trust in him? See, oftentimes we have this misconception that if we're going to give, we're going to give what's rational. In fact, if you were here for the Sunday School Hour, my wife talks in her testimony and how it wasn't rational for us to sell everything and quit our jobs so we can travel this country to ask churches just like this one to support us. It wasn't rational for us to sell our house and move our girls every few weeks for the past year and a half. That's not rational. But what I can tell you is that God has blessed over and over and over and over and over again. He has proven over and over and over again that he is going to take care of of us. I found out last night that you guys have a very special relationship with a very special church for us over in Groves, Texas. The Alverde Baptist Church was used by God for one of those very distinct purposes in our lives. Through a series of situations, we were staying in a missions apartment over in Nederland, and we had been to a few of the churches in that area, and we had a Sunday night open and available, and we decided to go there. We decided to go there knowing that we didn't have enough money for the gas or meals to get us to our next destination. In fact, we had been eating peanut butter and jellies for a few weeks, trying to stretch every penny that we had. And we pull up into this church and we walk in and and we don't know anybody there, just like we didn't know anybody here when we first show up. And and we walk in and we're greeted by smiling faces and and we get to tell them through the pain because we are frustrated with God. I'll be honest, it, it was my frustrations with God because as the man, I want to be able to provide for my family. So I smile straight through that lie saying, we're doing good, we're missionaries to Peru, as I shake people's hands. They had a missionary there that night, and and he presented, and then the pastor gets up at the end of service. And he says, folks, church, we have the missionary that presented with us taken care of tonight. 
But God's laying it on my heart to take up an offering for the missionaries that are visiting with us. And they took up enough money for us to get to the next destination. In fact, it was enough money we deemed it necessary to celebrate with a hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars. It wasn't peanut butter and jelly, and it tasted delicious. But it was the sacrifices of that church that provided for us, and we were able to move further down the road. In fact, we're trying to raise money to get to Peru. The Cool Balls are raising money to get to Toronto. And rough math, I'm not a math genius. In fact, I had to ask my wife to help me with this, and it's very simple math. I did some math. I need 20 people to raise their hand. Just, I'm, you're not committing to anything. It's just for visual purposes. 20 people. I'm not going to count because, again, I'm not a math genius. For instance, if t- you 20 people decided to give $2.50 a week over and above what you've been giving to missions... for 20 people a week would be able to afford this church to take the cool balls and my family on at 100 bucks a month. See, when I say we, and I don't know what your support level is. I'm just throwing out a number because it's easier to do the math that way, right? 100 is a very easy round number. 10 families at 10 bucks a month equals $100 a month, right? You double that two fam or 20 families See, we'll stop there. That's, that's the extent of my math. Um, so if I, I, if I say, hey, we need $100 a month, people start thinking, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that. But if you break it down to the fact that it is less than a cup of coffee a week to take on two new families for 20 people, that's saying something. And imagine what that, that concept could grow into. It, oh, I can afford to skip two cups of coffee. Oh, I know that's saying something. I mean, I love my coffee. But I can afford to skip two cups of coffee. I mean, I can scrape together some, some pocket change. And we can translate that into revolutionizing eternity for people across the globe. From Peru to Toronto to Mexico to Nicaragua, across the world we can see people saved for less than a cup of coffee a week. How awesome is that? So step number one was extreme dedication. Step number two was extreme giving. And then step number three is extreme moves. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is, what's that word? Desert. And he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of her treasure, or of all her treasure, not just a little bit, but all of it, and come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting on his chariot, and he read Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet. Then spirit spake unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? 
And he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. What was that word I asked you to read? Desert. Have you guys been to the desert? I know Houston's usually really wet when I'm here. It always seems to be raining. But I've been to the desert. There's no water. There's, there's little to no food. And here Philip is. It doesn't say what he was doing. I like, I like to think maybe he was gathered with some of his friends talking about biblical things. Um, maybe just goofing off, telling jokes. And then all of a sudden the Lord comes to him and says, Philip, get up. Okay. Where am I going? Walk south. So he starts walking. Where am I going, Lord? To the desert. Wait, shouldn't I grab some things? I mean, it doesn't specify that he prepared some things. It just says that Philip got up and walked. And he started walking out into the desert. I mean, when I drive, I like to at least make sure that my gas tank is full. I have oil in the, in the van. That I have radiator fluid so it doesn't overheat, especially in the desert. But it says Philip got up and he walked and he followed God out in the middle of the desert. Now, I've seen the cartoons. Bad things happen in the desert. The vultures start circling, right? Usually the coyote's being blown up because he can't catch the roadrunner. But Philip takes it upon himself to get up and do something extreme. Because God prompted him. You see, for us within our ministry, we need people to pray for us. We need people to love on us. We need people to support us. We need people to have that extreme dedication. We need you to put yourself in a position for God to use you. For God to use this church. God knows the plans that he has for us. God knows what the future holds. It's not us for it's not up to us for us to worry about it, but to follow him wherever he goes. It's not our finances with our giving. It's all been given to us from God. We need to be willing to put ourselves in a position for God to use us. We need to be willing to give control of our finances to God to use us. And then third and finally, we need to answer God's call when he calls. We need more people to come to Peru. I'm not going to lie. I believe 100 missionaries can show up tomorrow, and it will not be enough. It'll be a small blip in the radar, a small drop in the ocean. But we need people to commit to help us. Much like Philip got up and walked. So my question is, how is your faith? How is your faith? Are you living your faith to its fullest? Are you living a form of extreme faith? Or are you comfortable? Are you too comfortable for God has no room to move within your life? Or are you putting yourself in a position to where God can use you, to where he can use your faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that you have chosen 
to use a weak human being to take your powerful gospel to Peru, to Webster, throughout the Houston area into Toronto. Lord, I pray that we will develop relationships and, and partnerships here within this church and within this community to where not only will we see people saved and reach abroad, but we will see this church be a beacon within the community and see souls saved so we can do mighty things for you. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Stand and have a verse of invitation. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, the altars will be open and you can come up here while we're singing and deal with the Holy Spirit and the Lord as you need to. Turning to page 330 and we're going to sing Only Trust Him. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there is mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word only trust him only trust him only trust him now he will save you he will save you he will save you now for jesus shed his precious blood rich blessings to now into the crimson flood washes white as snow only trust him only trust him only trust him now he will save you he will save you he will save you 